Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this in October of 2021. And welcome to episode 56, learning about the equal sign. This is going to be another good one. First, we want to give a shout out to our friend Annalise Record, who was our very first guest last week. She tweeted, I had such a ball talking with Laura and Karina. I could have kept talking with them all night. Annalise, we feel the exact same way. Absolutely. We can't wait to have you on another future episode uh, when we discuss Cuisinaire Rods. My reflection for this week. Okay, I finally got my hashtag team inclusive shirt and I wore it today on hashtag math shirt Thursday, which I only found out about last week. So yay. And only one person noticed it and asked me a question. It was actually my principal. Woo woo. So go Miss Lopez. And moving on to our good news, I have some good news. I was finally able to do some building thinking classroom tasks. I was so excited and the kids were so excited too. And the things that they were saying and how they were talking to each other was just like, oh, it was just so nice. It was so nice. I can't even tell you. I I do understand what you're saying. And I think we're on around day 50 of school. Am I close? It's it's somewhere around day 50. <laughs> so better now than, you know, day 150. Right. Right. And it was just, it's just all because of COVID that I couldn't do it before. But now we're, we're good. We're good. I don't want to jinx it, but we're in a, a good spot. So hopefully this will continue because it was just, it was so nice to hear kids talking instead of me talking. And I was able to actually listen You know, it was just wonderful. You know, speaking of listening, I have gotten into many more classrooms now and I'm teaching the kids games for fluency and I have the teacher go around and I specifically say, go listen to what your kids are saying. Yeah. And so, so many of the teachers have said to me, wow, I learned so much about my students. And I said, I know that's the beauty of listening to whatever's being said by them, right? Absolutely. We want them to do the thinking and the talking. Absolutely. Well, listeners, we have our very second guest. <laughs> we are super excited to have our good friend, and I know I've talked about you before on the podcast. It's the other Karina. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so excited to have you here, Karina. Thank you, thank you for having me. And I do remember saying that if this episode ever happened, we will have to give it a subtitle. Today is Laura and Karina Square. Yes, I love that. I love that. Yes, it is. <laughs> so if wait, if we have you on again, is it still going to be Laura and Karina Squared? Or do we have to bump up the exponent? I will keep it with just two Karinas. That's enough for, for one episode. Okay. <laughs> Let's tell the listeners what we're going to be talking about today, because I know there was a couple of ideas that you were thinking about. So I'm passionate about a lot of things because I've met you and I know Karina and we are always talking about math. But something that comes to mind is 
the equal sign because I have been working with kindergartners and kindergarten teachers and I like teachers what I hear and I think of it myself. Oh, kindergarten math, so easy. All I have to do is count and all I have to do is know that two plus two equals four. But that whole thing about the equal sign is such an important thing to understand. It's one of those mysteries I feel like do not have enough time to explore. And because of that, um, I've been reading and unfortunately there's been research that proves that if kids don't have a conceptual understanding of what the equal sign really means, it could actually be a stopping block for algebra. And so the funny thing is, as you know, I am a K-8 resource teacher. So I also work in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And it is so interesting that when they are now solving equations, you know, with those funky letters, A, X, and Y, and algebra tiles, kids do not really understand that whatever I do to the left side of the equation, I must do to the right side of the equation, or it is not equal. Right. So I think it's something that's really important. That's what I wanted to talk to you guys about it today. And what gave you the passion to want to talk about this topic? I think it's because I am fortunate to be completing my master's in Mount Holyoke. Shout out to Mount Holyoke cohort number eight. Woo-hoo! And so last summer, we were starting to talk about operations and the fact that operations behave a certain way. And so in one of our conversations, I was sharing that I had heard that in Florida, the developers of the MFAS from CPOMS had discovered that during their research, they had asked hundreds of first graders and second graders if seven was equal to seven. And what do you think that they found out? They said no. The kids said no. Exactly. But the thing is not only that the students said that it was false, that it's not true that seven equals seven. What they said is because it doesn't look right. It's missing an addition symbol. So they only saw the equal sign as I have to do something and then I have a response. Mm -hmm. So something plus something equals something. They don't have the understanding that the equal is not really an operation sign but it is a symbol that talks about relationships. So I'm going to go to what the queen of math says in my world that happens to be Marilyn Burns. Yes. And she says that she actually has something that I'm going to ask you to attach for your listeners. Okay. She talks about using a book called Quack and Count for a lesson on teaching about the equal sign. So she talks in her blog about the fact that she started using the pictures on this book to write equations. So for one of them, she wrote 6 plus 1 equals 7. But then she thought, let me write 7 equals 6 plus 1. And they were... Well, I was going to ask you about that. So good. I'm glad you brought that up. Right. So the thing that Marilyn discovered was that the kids that she was working with started saying, oh, no, 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 that is wrong. It is backwards. It's supposed to be the other way around. And that's when she started to say, no, plus and minus are operation symbols, indicating that an action needs to be performed. The equal sign, however, is a relational symbol, not an operation symbol. There's no action associated with it. Instead, it describes a relationship of equivalence between two expressions. 
a state of being, not the result of an action. So I think it's so important that kids really understand what that means, that it is a relational symbol, not an action, not an operation. So you got me thinking now. So is the greater than and less than sign also relational symbols? Very much so. So then in my extra research that I did, I also found things from teaching is problem solving, which talks about the fact that the research that was done by those professors to find how to create these NFAS tasks, they figured out they asked a lot of kids and they figured out that there's actually a way that it could help the students learn more about the equal sign if it was introduced more of as a relational symbol rather than when we are teaching equations. So let me tell you what they are saying. They're saying, first, you should develop the relational vocabulary, introducing equals when we're talking about things that have the same amount. Then link the relational vocabulary to counting and cardinality, which is so important in the elementary grades, and then link the relational with the relational symbols. That's when you introduce a notation of the equal sign. So one of the things that was in this article that I read was that this person was saying, we are introducing operation symbols to kiddos way too early. And because we do that, because we think it's so easy, three plus four equals seven, there we go. They are not understanding. So then when they move to first grade, I know that we have some standards that say, Three plus four equals to seven plus something. And they say, no, it's done. Three plus four equals seven. And kids don't understand where that missing part is, that missing add-in. And I know also when we get to the upper grades with um, comparative relational thinking, again, they are not seeing the two sides of the equation as they have to be equal in number and quantity. They're only seeing this side equals to this one part. So I know that when I was working with third, fourth, and fifth graders on comparative relational thinking, and we were trying to do those halving and doubling, or if I'm adding four to this part, what do I do to this other side? They always wanted to compute. They never wanted to think about the relationship. And I think that that is such a thing that we can fix if we put the emphasis on what it really does mean. It's not, this is the answer, is this is equal to this. And also in the way that we present it to kids. So I would ask listeners out there, if you want to try it, write seven equals seven and see what the kiddos say. And then when you start writing equations, please write equations in what we will consider not so formal. Do the seven equals to zero plus seven, the same way as eight equals three plus five mm -hmm. and the other way around. Because kids kept saying it was false when they were asked if these equations were true or false because it didn't look the same. They were forgetting the math behind it. The math behind it was that the equations were true. So a couple things come to my mind where I actually bought these math balances. And I know they're also available virtually. I think it was on Didax's website. And I'll, I'll link that in the show notes to give the kids the opportunity to experience, right? Because we want to keep giving them opportunities and experiences 
to show the that the equal sign means the same value as. And I say that all the time. I don't care if I'm in kindergarten or fifth grade. It does not mean, like you said, the answer is. And that's something we've got to train out of them, right? And we've got to train the teachers out of saying that too. And then we also have to train the parents to yeah. not say those things, right? And I think it's also when we only ask kids to solve equations instead of what else could this be equal to? Even with pictures, I have two pairs of socks on my left drawer. What can I put on the right side of the drawer so that it's equal in amount? even with things around the house. Because I know that one of the things that I ask teachers all the time, especially kindergarten teachers, let's bring a little bit of math home because math is all around us. So why not talk about, hey, you have three grapes on the left side of your plate. What could you have on the right side of your plate so it's the same? It could be that you have two pieces of bananas and one piece of strawberry. That's still three. And I think that it also has to do with in kindergarten, I know we talk about greater than and less than. And if we talked a lot more about equal, I think that they would understand. It has to be an equal amount. Not this is the same as. And what's the answer? Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the balance, Laura, because I was also thinking of the Solve Me mobile. I wrote that down too. Yep. Those are great for showing a balance. And then the other thing that I was thinking about was even in my own learning through number talks, when we write equations, we don't want to write them, keep writing them horizontally because if, so let's say I'm writing, you know, what uh, the strategy of what students are doing or as, as they're thinking, I write three plus seven equals 10 plus two equals, right, you can't write it straight across like that because, again, like you said, it's it those aren't in balance. 10 plus 2 is not equal to 3 plus 7. That's right. When you get to that 10, you want to bring it down. So we, we do like a, a staircase where we write horizontally, then we go vertically, then horizontally again. And that was something that I hadn't really thought of before number talks. I'm glad that you're doing them. I know that what you were just saying is funny that you brought solve me mobiles because it's one of the things that we use for sixth and seventh and eighth grade to solve um, equations to balance and also to combine like terms and think, okay, if you know, again, with our variables, if we have X and we have numbers, do we put all the X's on one side and all the numbers on the other side? And they don't really understand why I'm like, because I'm trying to figure out the value, but I have to keep things the same on both sides. They just want to start taking things out. And something that I hear a lot is, oh, just cancel it out. I'm like, nothing's being canceled. There's no canceling going on. It is equal. Yes. I have a positive and a negative, so they make a zero pair. Nothing has been canceled. But it's, it's I think, what teachers are doing every day that sometimes we think, oh, it's so easy. It's so easy for us to understand because we're adults. But we have to think about the kids that we have in front of us. What are the experiences that they have had with the equal sign before they get to those relational thinking strategies that we were talking about or before they get to algebra where everything is solving equal parts so that we can figure out the value of these variables. So that reminded me of something that we've talked about in the classroom this week, which is relationships and patterns and division. And, you know, just talking about what stays the same and how how you can 
yeah, we don't want to cancel anything out. But one problem that I always show students is 12 divided by 3 equals 4. But 120 divided by 30 is also equal to 4. And that, when they see that at first, I think it's surprising to them, right? They're like, what? Wait, those numbers are not the same. How is that? How are those two things equal? And exactly, it's just about the balance and the relationships. It's not about canceling zeros out. It's about what I've done to the dividend and the divisor, really, when you think of it, I've made the one factor 10 times greater. So yeah, the product is going to become 10 times greater as well. That's right. I have a question for you. Earlier, you said we need to teach the equal sign using conceptual understanding. What tools or what ways do you think would be, you know, quote, the best ways or better ways to teach the equal sign conceptually? I think when we're making numbers, specifically in kindergarten, because I have seen it when we break apart the ways to make a five, I think it's, it's, it's very concrete for them to say, okay, I have five bananas and I have zero apples. So that's still five. And that's another thing. The, the number zero is such a mysterious thing that nobody talks about. But I have five. And if I have three bananas and two apples, I still have five. Five has not changed. So five equals to five. So I think decomposing all these numbers, when we're teaching them about the number system itself, that in every six, you have a five. And in every five, you have a four. That part of counting and cardinality and number sense is such an important part to see. It has the parts of a number that's conceptually understanding that three and three make six, but four and two is still six. The sixness has not changed, but the parts have changed. And I think that that's exactly where the equal sign goes in, that this is equal to this. So I would love to see kids having the experiences that I was able to have through um, a book that we talked about, um, Connecting Mathematics to Algebra, that I also used in my Maholio course because kids were coming up with their conjectures. They were coming up with the generalization. One of the ones that we talked about for, again, little ones, is three plus four, the same thing as four plus three. We think that is so easy that way, isn't it? that if I have three bananas and then I have four apples, I still have seven fruits because now you're changing the unit. So that's another other thing that we're adding to the plate. But again, I think that we all think, oh, it's so easy, but kids need the experiences to see it through, to come up with their own way of figuring it out. When you first started talking about this after I asked that question, the first thing that popped into my mind was a five frame yes. and two color counters. Yes. I mean, giving the kids multiple five frames and letting them use the different colors of the counters to figure out the fiveness of five, right? Have you seen, right, have you, I'm sure you've seen that game, Spill It. It's basically five of those yellow and red counters. You put them in a cup and the kids already know that's five. When I drop them, I have to count how many red and how many yellow. And that's one combination. And I know that I've talked about playing this game with lots of teachers that the kids after a while go, um, I already saw that before. I'm like, great. You know, that's a combination. You're going to get that. And then they keep working to see what other combinations they have. And then when they finish the five, they bring in one more chip. And now we do combinations of six. 
and then combinations of seven. It brings so much exploration to it, but at the same time, understanding this six has not changed. The way to make six. And I think that's an important conversation to have. Yeah. Do you have kids record this or like write it? You know, I have had that. I've had it and I've also done it where, you know, we are discovering at the same time. And when somebody discovers a new one, then I chart it out so they have it. It depends. When my students have done it on their own, I had a little five frame where they had crayons and they just kept coloring and kept coloring. And then I would, I would say, so which combinations did you get a lot of and which ones did you not? Usually the zero with the five is the one that doesn't come up as much, which is the hardest one for them to see, which is something that I also know that, you know, again, zero is an amount and they don't have a lot of experience. So if we don't have a lot of experience with it, they don't think of five and zero making five or any number plus zero, which is one of the basic facts that they need to understand when they get to first grade. Okay, I, I, I'm going to push you on this a little more because I want to know how do you have them record it or chart it or um, because you I, earlier I remember you saying don't have them use plus and the equal sign. So how would you have them record the, the, the colors? So when the kiddos do it, they usually have a five frame, which is just the five boxes, and they put a dot. So a dot for every chip that they get that's red and a dot for every chip that they got that's yellow. Then they put the five counters back in the cup, shake it up, spill it out, and now we use a new five frame. And we keep doing this over and over. For the teacher, I would say all the ways to make five on a poster. Now, one of the tricks that I always tell my teachers is I laminate the poster with just the title. And then the kids come with erasable markers and they can show me all the ways that they favorite out five. And I would just make them do the circles or I would have them write five and one. I'm not introducing the plus and the equal sign until much later when they understand that it's a joining situation. But I need them to have the experience of five and one is six, which I'm happy to see it. Would six be at the top of your page? And then you would, would you write the word and all the way down for them and then have blank lines? That will work. Okay. That will work, I think, just to help them, especially when I'm thinking of K and one students. We don't want them to spend time writing the same word over and over, but writing the numbers that make that combination. I love the visual. I love that you're living in the concrete and representational, right? And leaving the abstract for last. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of classrooms, the opposite is happening where the abstract is front loaded and then the concrete and representational come come after. But it really, for those kindergarten and first graders, it needs to be concrete and representational first. I love what Mike Flynn says about that. I love his video that he talks about concrete thinkers, representational thinkers, and abstract thinkers, that you should be moving along those islands all the time. I still think that there's a big focus on let's get to abstract. But even if you get to abstract to truly understand something, you should be able to then represent it, tell a story about it, or even go back to the manipulatives in some kind of concrete model. So I, I like that you said that. Thank you for bringing that up because I've seen that again. We teachers, we are adults, we already learn this. And I think sometimes we forget how difficult it is for our little learners, especially, or for our middle school learners who, again, are just figuring this whole algebra business going on, that, oh, this is easy. You just take the side and put it on the side. And they're like, why? 
But if you're able to move through those islands back and forth, come up with context that makes sense, I think that that's where it really works on all three levels at the same time. Christina Tondable calls it the sweet spot when you're able to bring all three. And I love that because I think that that should be our main focus when we're working on concepts that we notice, like the equal sign are so, 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 so fundamental and important. I have shared the triple Venn diagram with the sweet spot so many times over the past two years with the teachers that I'm working with. It's an awesome tool. Yes, same, same. And and with the students too, because I mean, we've talked about this in a previous podcast where that question of why are we learning it this way? Why do we have to know the area model and partial quotients and this and, you know, why are we doing it like this? Well, because math is more than just knowing one way. It's about a deeper understanding about can you see it visually? Can you picture it in your head? And that, like you said, that sweet spot, that's where we want them. We don't want them on these separate islands. We want things to connect. And I think until the kids make the connections themselves, we can say it. I know I used to think, and I'm an adult learner, that you study generalizations. You open your book and you said, you know, when you have three plus four equals to four plus three is because of the commutative property. End of story. Yes. I am learning more and more now that kids need to experience the commutative property before they can actually generalize it to all the things that the community property works in and the things that it doesn't work for. But if you just tell it, it's not going to be their learning. Yeah. And I also think that once we tell it, we're robbing them of the experience of understanding it for themselves. And that is such a huge thing. I know I get excited. I just, I, I want you to do like a mic drop right now. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> and how many conversations? I mean, I, I even think of this year, I've had conversations with teachers like, well, the kids don't know it, but I know it was taught last year. Maybe someone was telling them about it, but they never got to experience it. And of course, with COVID, of course, I get it. They mm-hmm. weren't able to experience it, but we've got to let the kids experience it. We've got to let them own it and control it and and figure it out on their on their own instead of rushing to algorithms and rushing to abstract. And I think that the rushing to symbols that we talked about, the plus, the minus, that's one thing. The symbol of the equal sign is a completely different thing. And I'm glad that you said that kids have to figure it out because it can be figured out. Absolutely. I have to bring in Pam Harris. Math yep. is figure outable. One of my other favorite shirts. <laughs> Mine too. Now, Karina, do you know of any other resources? So we've talked about Solve Me Mobile. We talked about that balance. Do you know of any other resources out there that are good for, you know, experiencing the equal sign? So I know that the pin balance is always a tool that a lot of people use. For kindergartners, I think it's a little bit more of a concept that needs to be done at the end when you actually talk about measurement. But even for first graders, that's always a way to see. So what I've been working on lately that I really like is um, Mathigon. The Polypad has a lot of things that you can build your own task and they have an Uh, of balance and they have different ways that you can balance that balance. You can put number blocks, you can put in a weight so that you can figure out how many of this kind of weight needs to balance by this side. So I like it because it's a real good way to represent it in a visual way. But if you don't have all the tools in front of you, at least you can show it 
to, to let kids know, look, the balance is unbalanced. You need to figure out what's going to be equal. So when you think about that. I love that. Um, I know that for the upper grades, algebra tiles are really good. And one thing that I like about the polypad algebra tiles, for what I was talking about, how does it go from one side of the equation to the other, is that when you actually are moving the algebra tiles, let's say the positive ones with the negatives, and they get together, they change colors, and they become a zero. So kids can visually see what a zero pair is. Because even with the concrete algebra tiles, when you put them together, nothing happens to them. We just say positive and negative are now a zero. But in the polypod that I've noticed is so cool, when you put them together, it actually becomes a zero. So kids can really see and the teachers can show, look what happened in that relationship. What else do we have left? So that's also another good tool. That's awesome. As you two were talking, you reminded me I have a book. So if you wanted to bring in literature for math, Equal Schmequel. Have you ever seen that book? No, I'm going to have to find it because I'm going to link it to my teachers. So in connecting arithmetic to algebra is where I was telling you about the experiences of learning about how to bring the algebraic thinking into elementary grades. And in, but why does it work? Mathematical argument in the elementary classroom is what we have what they are called lesson sequences. In these lesson sequences, as a teacher, you can work with your students on how to develop these generalizations. First, by investigating a claim, then working on a claim that the students come up with together in their own language. Then they come up with a representation and a context. And finally, they revise their claim to see if it can become a generalization. For example, if I say that I have seven cats that live in my house and I have a two-story house, I can say five cats are on the first floor and two cats are on the second floor. And then when I came home from work, I saw that there were three cats on the first floor and four cats on the second floor. That is showing the same sum, but in different ways. Again, talking about the equal sign and what it means. I love that example because you can I picture, love that too. you know, a two-story house or, or you know, a two-story apartment building or whatever. And, you know, I think kids can definitely picture that in their minds. Yes. So I, like I love those, that. I love those lesson sequences. If anybody out there wants to try them out with their students, I know that I used them through the work that I was doing for my Mount Holyoke classes last year. And it was amazing that we even gave uh, other colleagues gave these same lesson sequences that are written for elementary students to middle school students. And they were still having a difficult time understanding these generalizations that, again, I thought as an adult, you just study them. It's in the textbook, you read it, it's a message, it's done. But they truly need to develop it, discover it, and internalize it in their own words so that it makes sense to them. And that book was K through five? This book is actually meant for the elementary grades. But like I said, we use some of the lesson um sequences with middle school students and the teachers were noticing that these kids still need it, especially the yeah. argument and the, the claim to be clear and the context that they had to come up with to represent what that claim was. That was the most difficult part. 
Wow. This was an amazing conversation. I'm so happy. It really was. It really was. You opened my eyes to a lot of things that does that I wouldn't have known because, again, of my world, I live in fifth grade land. Karina, we just want to thank you so much for coming and spending this time with us. I mean, we're friends, you know, the three of us. So it's been super awesome, even though we're not in person right now. We're still doing this over the internet. But it, it's so good to just always have a conversation with you. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. I always learn so much from our conversations. I love having both of you to talk to. You're wonderful resources. But thank you, Karina, especially for coming on this episode. You're welcome. Remember, you're always part of my hashtag math peeps. Woo, woo, and hashtag math rebels. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Listeners, our challenge for you this week We want you to explore one of the articles or tools that we are going to link in the show notes and let us know what you do with them. If you just decide you're going to read an article on your own or use a tool with your class, we want to know. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. We invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag learning through math. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. To you too.